Psalm 51. The notation at the beginning of this psalm gives us the background of it, which is well known to all of you. A psalm of David when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. And you remember the sordid story of adultery and then drunkenness. He tried to deceive Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, and then murder, and then a year of covering all of this. And then finally, when God got through to David, he confesses his sins. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion, build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifice of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. The most priceless possession in all the world is a human soul. Our society today is facing a real problem with how much is a human being worth. We face a problem before they're born, should we abort them? We face a problem when they get very old, should we just let them die? And society is having a real problem with this because we're not quite sure how much a human being is worth. 
we've been teaching in our schools that a human being is just another animal and uh, we just evolved from what used to be and therefore if we're animals we might just as well die. But when you open your Bible you discover that uh, man is a very priceless, priceless creature. He's not an animal. In fact, Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? That's how priceless a soul is. So valuable is your life that Jesus died for you. Now, if the most priceless thing in the world is a human soul, the most expensive thing in the world is sin. You can take any catalog from any store and find the most expensive thing in there, and it doesn't begin to match the high cost of sin. And that's what Psalm 51 is talking about. David has discovered how costly sin is. And my friends, I think that one of the best deterrents to sin is to realize how costly it is. If ever you're tempted to sin, and I'm tempted to sin, I'm talking about deliberate sin, not something that we're tripped up in, if ever we're tempted to sin, let's stop and realize how costly this experience is going to be. Because in David's experience of sin, he discovered the prices that had to be paid. And there are three of them. David discovered, first of all, the high cost of committing sin. As you read Psalm 51, you discover that the consequences of David's sin were tragic. And along with Psalm 51, you have Psalm 32. Here in Psalm 51, David tells us the spiritual consequences of his sin. Now, please remember, David was a saved man. And David was a good man. David was a man after God's own heart. David was a man who loved God and who served God and who risked his life to do the work of God, but David sinned. And the spiritual consequences, the consequences in his spiritual life were really very tragic. Would you notice them? In verse 3, something happened to David's eyes. My sin is ever before me. Now, you've had that experience when you've disobeyed the Lord and conscience is dirty Conscience has a way of convicting us and dealing with us. And every place we look, we see what we have done. That's a tragedy. At one time, David looked up and he said, the heavens declare the glory of God. He looked up and his eyes saw God. But now he says, my sin is ever before me. That's what happens when we sin. Something happens to our eyes. We can't see the way we used to see. Verse 6, something happened to his mind. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me know wisdom. I want you to know, my friend, that the dumbest person in all the world is a Christian who's covering sin. A backslidden Christian will do stupid things that an unsaved person wouldn't do. Now, here's David. David was no dumbbell. David was a brilliant man, a brilliant soldier, a brilliant writer a brilliant administrator, and a man of God. But sin got into his life, and he couldn't think the way he used to think. Something happened to his mind. 
And he thought, well, I can make Uriah drunk and he'll go home and that'll cover everything up. But Uriah as a drunken soldier was a better man than David as a sober king. Uriah stayed there at the king's front door and David said, why don't you go home to your wife? And Uriah said, why, my soldier friends are out there in the heat of the battle. Should I go home to my wife? No, I'll stay right here. Can you imagine that? A drunken man had more sense than did David. Something happened to David's mind. David said, well, I'll kill this man. And David knew you can't kill somebody and get away with it. Your brother's blood cries up from the ground. But David went ahead and did it. He said, I'll cover everything up. But David knew that he that covereth his sin shall not prosper. Something happened to David's mind. This explains why Christians get into messes. We disobey the Lord, and instead of straightening it out, we start covering and being devious. What did Sir Walter Scott write? Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. Something happened to David's ears. Verse 8, make me to hear joy and gladness. You know, David was a musician. And David could pick up his harp and he could strum the harp and write songs. Our young people do this today. They'll pick up. I've been in meetings where somebody's just picked up a guitar and written a song right there. David could do this. And the Holy Spirit of God would inspire David to come forth with beautiful songs. But David couldn't hear the beauties of the music anymore. All he heard was, you have sinned. You have sinned. And he says, something's happened to my ears. I don't hear what I used to hear. He tells me in verse 10 that something happened to his heart. Create in me a clean heart, O God. You see, what dirt is to the outer man, sin is to the inner man. This is why David uses the verbs that he uses in verses 1 and 2. Look at these three requests in verses 1 and 2. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me. Cleanse me. Three different requests. Blot out. He says, my sin is like a debt. Oh, God, you have opened up your book, and I have a terrible debt on that page. Oh, blot out this debt, the wages of sin. And then he says, wash me. My heart is dirty. Oh, there was a time when my heart was clean, and, and because I had a clean heart, you were blessing me. Oh, God, wash my heart. And the word cleanse, that's the word that was used for the leper. You see, sin is not only a debt on God's book, and sin is not only a defilement on our heart, but sin is like a disease. Like leprosy, it grows and grows, and ultimately it can kill. Something happened to David's heart. Something happened to David's spirit, verse 10. And renew a right spirit within me, a steadfast spirit. David said, I can't serve like I used to serve and I can't live like I used to live. My spirit down within is not what it ought to be. Oh, God, give me a steadfast spirit. Something happened to David's fellowship. Verse 11, cast me not away from thy presence. Oh, God. We've walked together and we've talked together and you've seen me through battles. And, oh, God, you've done so much for me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Lord, you're there. You're my shepherd. But anymore, you seem so far away. He lost his fellowship. He lost his joy. 
Verse 12, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. I'm glad David didn't say restore unto me my salvation. We believe the word of God teaches that even though a saint sins, he doesn't lose his salvation. But David certainly lost the joy of his salvation. You know, this explains why you have cranky people in churches. This explains why sometimes you have grouchy people at home. If you're not walking with God and you've lost the joy of your salvation, you're awfully hard to live with. Something happened to David's joy. I notice in verses 13 and 14 that something happened to David's testimony. He had locked jaw. That's what he says here. Open thou my lips, verse 15, my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Nothing closes the mouth of a believer, whether it is for testifying or praying or praising, like unconfessed sin. These are the tragic spiritual consequences of David's sin, the high cost of committing sin. Now, there were not only spiritual consequences to the inner man, but there were physical consequences to the outer man. Look at verse 8. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Now, this refers us back to Psalm 32, and I want you to turn there. Because in Psalm 32, David tells us what happened to him physically because he sinned. Verse 3, when I kept silence, when I refused to confess my sin, my bones became old through my roaring all the day night, for, all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. He got dry and old and feeble. Now, David was a strong man. David didn't have to take any courses at the health club. He was a strong man, and he was a good-looking man. And he had a ruddy complexion. He was a redhead. And there was a virility about David and a youthfulness about David, but not when he sinned. People looked at each other in the palace, and they said, what's the matter with the king? He looks so old. Instead of bouncing around the way he used to, he's crawling around like an old, decrepit man. What did this? The weight of sin. Not only was his sin expensive spiritually and expensive physically, but his sin was expensive as far as his family was concerned. You know, of course, that Bathsheba bore a son and the baby died. And as a consequence of David's sin, Absalom died. And Amnon died, and their sister was violated. When the prophet came to David and said, Thou art the man, David said, I confess my sin. I'm sorry for my sin. And the prophet said, The Lord has put away your sin, but. Now, some saints of God have never learned the difference between God's grace and God's government. When I come and say, God, I have sinned, I confess it, he says, I will forgive you. That's his grace. But he cannot and will not stop the consequences. God's government keeps on rolling in this world. 
The word of God says the wages of sin is death. The word of God says whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And the consequences of sin go on. You remember the story of the father who wanted to teach this to his son and he took him down. Remember that? He took him down into the, uh, into the workshop in the basement and he said, son, here's a hammer and here are some nails. Would you pound these nails in this board? And the boy had a good time just pounding the nails in the board. Now he said, son, will you pull the nails out? And so he pulled the nails out. He said, now son, would you pull the holes out? And the boy said, well, dad, you can't pull the holes out. And the father said, now I want to talk to you about sin. You can tell a lie and come and say, I'm sorry, I've told a lie. But that thing keeps galloping and galloping and galloping. You can't pull out the holes. And David paid for his sin. The high cost of committing sin. There was a second price that was paid. And David learned this. There's the high cost of committing sin, and there's the high cost of confessing sin. There's a great deal of cheap confession these days. I had a letter from a radio listener that read something like this. Dear Pastor Wearsby, thank you for your radio ministry. I enjoy it very much. I have this problem. Suppose I do this and this and this, which I know are out of the will of God. Can't I go ahead and do them and then come and ask him to forgive me? Now, that's using 1 John 1, 9 as a rabbit's foot. Now, Lord, I'm about to sin, but after it's all over and I've enjoyed it, I'm going to come and say, I'm sorry. David didn't face confession, confessing his sins this way. As you read the Bible, you find a number of people who had very shallow confessions. Pharaoh, boy, when things were hot in Egypt, Pharaoh said, oh, I've sinned. I'm sorry. I have sinned. And the minute the plagues were taken away, he went right back to where he was. Judas, I have sinned in that I have betrayed innocent blood. King Saul, oh, honor me before the people. There's a lot of shallow confessing that goes on, but David's wasn't this way. You notice the way David confesses his sin? In verse 4, he says, God, you've told the truth. Psalm 51, verse 4, is the Old Testament equivalent of 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that word confess, as you Greek students know, means to say the same thing. You see, if I come and say, now, Lord, if I have done something wrong, he's not going to listen. No ifs when it comes to confession. Or, Lord, if we, don't drag me in on it. When you come and say, dear God, I told a lie. Dear God, that was a lustful thing. Oh, God, what I did here was plain meanness. That's, that's verse 4. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest. David's saying, dear God, I can't hide anything. I can't argue. I can't come with alibis and excuses. I want you to be justified when you speak. You tell the truth, and you know what I've done. I committed adultery. I made a man drunk. I murdered the man. David's confession was not something surface and shallow. There's a difference between remorse and regret and repentance. I've met people when I used to have jail services who had a lot of regret. 
and a lot of remorse because they were sorry they got caught. But David wasn't saying, oh, I'm so sorry I got caught. David's saying, I'm so sorry for what I am. In sin did my mother conceive me. That doesn't mean that conception is sinful. It means that what is born, what is conceived, is born in sin. And David says, I know what I am and I know what I've done. He knows that God's not interested in a surface, shallow kind of a confession, the kind of thing you hear in the backyard from the children. He hit me. Did you hit him? Yes. Tell him you're sorry. I'm sorry. He's no more sorry than the piano is sorry. But God hears a lot of that kind of confessing. Shallow, flippant, careless. Not so from David. David says, uh, verse 16, Now, Lord, you don't want sacrifice, or I'd give it. What you want is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. That means I am sick of what I've done. I don't say, how could I have done this? Because all of us are capable of doing it. I'm saying with Joseph, how could I do this thing against God, against thee, thee only have I sinned? The high cost of confessing sin. Now, I'm not saying that we have to roll on the floor, that we have to whip ourselves. No. No, nowhere in the Bible are we told that. But the Word of God does say this, God looks on the heart. And when you and I come to the private confessing of our sins, God's looking for a broken heart. He's saying here that a broken heart is the equivalent of all the sacrifices you could bring. Well, there are two prices that had to be paid, the high cost of committing sin and the high cost of confessing sin. But David learned there was a third price. That's the high cost of cleansing sin. You see, you don't cleanse sin cheaply. God's forgiveness is not cheap. It's free, but it's not cheap. How flippantly we quote 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, Lord, he is faithful and just. Wait a minute. Faithful to what? Just to what? doesn't say he's loving and gracious. Faithful and just. Faithful to what, Lord? Faithful to my promise. Just in what way? I am just in that my son died for your sin. Oh. Oh. It's a wonderful day in the family when children begin to learn how much things cost. I remember hearing my little nephew when he was much younger saying to his father, well, Daddy, just write one of those pieces of paper. That'll take care of it. Sure. Then he discovered in order to write one of those pieces of paper, somebody had to earn some money and put it in the bank. It's a marvelous thing when children say, hey, I want to take care of my bicycle. This cost my dad a few days' wages. It might not be a bad idea for us to put tags all over the house. How much allowance it would take to replace certain things. Because children have to learn how much these things cost. I wonder if we remember and recall how much it costs for God to cleanse us. This was the third price that David discovered. The high cost 
of cleansing sin. This is why he says in verse 7, purge me with hyssop. Now, hyssop, of course, was that little shrub that was used for the applying of the blood. The word he uses in verse 2, cleanse me from my iniquity, is the word that's used for the cleansing of the leper. If you connect verse 2 with verse 7, you get a beautiful picture. He says, Lord, I have sinned. I've committed adultery, and I've made a man drunk, and I've murdered a man, and I lied about it for a year, and I covered it up. I'm like a leper. I'm unclean. God says, I know that, but I can make you clean. You remember in the Old Testament, the uh, ceremony they went through when the leper was cleansed? A beautiful thing. The leper is cleansed of his leprosy, and, and the priest goes out and looks at him, and the priest says, you're cleansed. And, and so the, the leper goes and gets two birds, just two little birds, and a clay jar and some scarlet and some cedar wood and some hyssop. And he and the priest go and find some running water. Now, running water is a picture of the Holy Spirit. You know what they do? They take one of those little birds and they stuff it down into the jar. Then they take a knife and they kill the bird so the blood is shed. And they take that hyssop and they get the blood on the hyssop and they apply the blood to the leper who's been cleansed. That's what David's talking about. And David's praying. He's saying, purge me with hyssop. And God says, wait a minute. Do you know what that hyssop is all about? You see, those two birds are a picture of the Lord Jesus. You don't take birds and stuff them in the clay jars. Birds belong up there in the heavens flying around. When they took that little bird and stuffed it into that clay jar, it was a picture of what Jesus did when he came down to this earth. Jesus Christ, who belonged up there in the heavens, came down here and stuffed himself into a little clay jar in Bethlehem. You know why? So that one day wicked men could take and kill him. And they'd take the hyssop and they'd apply the blood to the leper and to the other bird, the bird that was still alive. They put the blood and turned him loose. It's a picture of the, the birth the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know what God's saying to you and me? Don't you think for one minute that the cleansing of your sin is cheap. Just come and say a few words and God washes us and makes us clean. I tell you, friend, it involved the birth and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know what that says to me? It says to me that the next time I'm tempted to sin against the Lord, I'd better remember how much my sin costs Jesus Christ. When our children disobey us, it hurts us. They don't always know this, but it hurts us. Someday when they have their own children, they'll find out how much it hurts. When I go out and sin against the Lord, it hurts him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And he goes out and, here's my child, and he goes out and deliberately plays with the thing that killed Jesus. David learned, as he'd never learned before, the high cost of committing sin and the high cost of confessing sin and the high cost of cleansing sin. Now, if I have made this sound very dark, I want to end on a very bright note. Not to encourage anybody to sin, no, but to encourage any soul here tonight 
that feels like David and says, oh, I'm so unclean, I've disobeyed God. Is there any hope for me? Yes, there is. The prophet said to David, the Lord has put away your sin. Isn't that beautiful? The Lord has put away your sin. David, he's blotted out the debt. David, he's washed the robe. David, he's cleansed the leprosy. David, you're clean. You're washed. Your heart is clean. Your eyes can see again. Your ears can hear again. He has readjusted those bones that were broken. He's taken away the burden. David, you're back in fellowship with God again. You can witness again. You can build again. You can fight again. It's an interesting thing that the record tells us that David committed two great sins. One was a sin of the flesh, Bathsheba. One was a sin of the spirit. He numbered the people. David got proud one day and wanted to issue a press release on how big his kingdom was, and he said, go number the people. And Joab said, oh, we better not. He said, do it. God gave David nine months to stop the thing, and he wouldn't do it. And so God sent a plague. Seventy thousand Israelites died. When David confessed that sin, he didn't say, I have sinned. He said, I have sinned greatly. Isn't it interesting that he committed a sin of the flesh and four people died? He committed a sin of the spirit and 70,000 people died. Pride goeth before destruction. Here's the interesting thing. David went and bought a piece of property, and he built an altar on that property, and he offered a sacrifice and said, Oh, God, stop the plague. Oh, God, I'm the one that deserves the punishment. Don't lay your hands on my sheep. Oh, God. And God stopped the plague. Now, here's the amazing thing. Out of David's sin with Bathsheba, and he married Bathsheba, but out of that relationship came Solomon. You know what Solomon did? Solomon took that piece of property that David bought when he confessed his sin to the Lord, and he built a temple on it. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Only a God like our God could take two horrible sins, two ghastly, tragic situations, and build a temple out of it. It's sort of an illustration of what Paul writes over in Romans chapter 5, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Am I saying that to give anybody an excuse to sin? No, no. All I'm saying is this. Never be afraid to come and confess your sin to the Lord. Don't say, what's he going to do? He that covereth his sin shall not prosper but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall find mercy. And our God is such a wonderful God that he can take Bathsheba and bring Solomon into the world. He can take a piece of property and build a temple out of it. He took the two great sins of David and where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. But I remind you, that those sins helped to nail Jesus to the cross. 
Our prayer daily ought to be, Lord Jesus, I long to be perfectly whole. I want thee forever to live in my soul. Break down every idol. Cast out every foe. Now wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Father, you know our heart's needs. I pray that tonight this word might bring encouragement, enablement. Oh, God, work in our lives. May that one here tonight who has never been saved come and receive Christ. May that one who is a believer but in need of cleansing straighten things out. Oh, God. Hear us as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.